Welcome to the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast with your hosts, Corndog and Eric. Welcome to the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast, episode 55. It is January 25th, 2022. I'm here in studio with Eric. How you doing, Eric? Doing good. Sweet. Um, what a show we're going to have tonight. What a show last week with Justin Moore. Talked about his Baja 1000 Ironman. Uh, if you haven't listened to that show, go back and listen to that. Uh, I, what a story. Yeah, it was really good. Justin was pretty awesome. And uh, he raced the Moran race this last weekend. It looks like he got first in his class. Cool. So, so that was very cool. I did see that on the results. Um, so tonight, <laughs> one year ago tomorrow, we had this guest on our show. And we didn't plan it that way. It just kind of popped up in our memories. But uh, we have uh, Skylar Howes on the show pretty stoked yeah our first two-time two-time guest on the show and uh yeah we're really excited to have him come on if you didn't listen to his first show go back to episode 36 and check it out um talks about you know his his humble beginnings and how he got started in off-road and uh (laughs) you know and then tonight's show is gonna we're gonna hit on where he's where he's come from how he how he's gotten to where he's at and uh you know that factory ride with Husqvarna and and everything he's doing now. So I don't think he's getting tires out of the dumpster anymore. Nope, <laughs> nope. He's probably not scrounging for tires. But uh, you know, definitely a lot of work goes into getting to where he's at. And I'm I'm really excited to hear his story and how how things are going. You know, with the new team and all that. So yeah, I'm pumped for this for tonight's show. Heck yeah. Um. Let's just uh, cut to the chase and go get him on the show. All right. Stay tuned, guys. We'll be right. right back. Here comes Skyler. Hold on. Hey, Skyler. How you doing? We got you on the air now. Yo, how's it going? Good. Uh, Eric's sitting here with me. and uh, Skyler. Yep. <laughs> so uh, pretty excited to have you back on the show. I think you're the first one on our podcast that's had a double, double showing. Sweet. Well, and I'm honored. We, did, we didn't plan it, but it was a year ago tomorrow that you were on the show <laughs> yeah that's cool <laughs> so well since our last show you've a lot of things have happened and changed um how, how's it going <laughs> well uh i mean just depends on how what's going i mean <laughs> <laughs> well there's a lot going on yeah a lot lots so uh well let's go back a year uh after your dakar last year and I know at that point, um, you didn't know if you're going back to Dakar or not. You hadn't heard from anybody, I guess. Let's start there and see what happened. Yeah. So I guess that was what was pretty difficult with everything. Um, you know, I'd got a ninth overall at Dakar, which I thought was, you know, pretty awesome. And then nothing came from it. And so that whole year and when I talked to you guys last I mean it was kind of that gamble um putting everything into it leading up to Dakar 2021 and you know selling everything and literally gambling my whole life 
pretty much ready to come back to either hang up the boots from professional racing or, you know, be a factory racer. There was going to be no real in between kind of reached that point in my life and my career that, you know, I'd put everything up to it. So if it didn't happen now, it wasn't, you know, wasn't really banking on it ever happening. So, um, and I was kind of prepared to go into the fire Academy and start, you know, going, going down the route of like being a firefighter. And after Dakar, I was like, okay, fifth, let's, you know, let's go. This is exactly what I worked for. Everyone I finished around that was a factory racer, top privateer. And I had got a little bit more acquainted with the factory KTM squad also um when i took the overall lead they you know showed a little bit more interest and kind of helping me out so they helped me out with a little bit more strategy and some things like that which were really cool so um i thought then i'm like all right now you know now it's gonna happen then we went a couple weeks and still nothing and it was full credit crickets i'm like man this is Hmm. this is wild like i'm not sure like did i do something wrong what's happening here and what it really boils down to is, you know, your connections that you've made. It, yeah. Results kind of dictate most of the things, but if you've made no relationships with people, if you don't have an in, then there's like, you can only go so far. And that was kind of the hard part with my whole, I wouldn't necessarily say my whole career, but with everything, you know, especially with rally, Garrett got me into it and you know I had some really good friends that were helping me trying to make the right decisions and it turns out that the decisions we were making wasn't necessarily like yeah it was all great and I had a lot of fun and I got a lot of experience doing what I was doing but it didn't really do the right things and it kind of set me back Mm. and that's just the the nature of it if you don't have the right connections and you don't have the right you know relationships and stuff you don't really know where to go and what to do and you start learning a lot of lessons the hard way and so even though i went back and i got fifth i really hadn't gained a lot of those connections and so didn't really mean much as far as getting support because i didn't know anyone still so i got lucky and because ktm was helping me out a little bit i got the email of jordy villadomes who's the manager at the time and I just sent him an email and said, Hey, thanks. Thank you for all of your support. I appreciate everything. And, uh, you know, helping me out during the race and whatnot. Uh, I, I'm going to be super forward. Uh, what I did this year, I can't do again. I got nothing left to sell. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I want to go back. I know I can do better and I, I, but I need the help. And I'm hoping that we can work some type of support out with the factory team. Um, Let me know. And he emailed right back and was super stoked and everything. He said, uh, we got a meeting in two weeks and I'll let you know. And then it was crickets again for another like two, three weeks. And I'm like, just sweating and stressing and just, (laughs) you know, waiting by the phone. And I woke up one morning to a text. It was like, Hey, you know, can you grab a phone call? And I'm like, yeah. And then he gave me the news right then. And I was like, you know, it was, it was kind of strange though. It was a really strange feeling 
you know, the, the feeling of accomplishing a lifelong goal is weird. <laughs> you don't really know how to act. So I got the phone right? call, yeah. I hung up the phone and my <clears throat> girlfriend, she's, you know, pretty new to the dirt biking scene. And I went into the, to the house and I told her, I was like, I, I did it. I got, I got a factory ride. Like I'll be a factory racer. And she's like, Oh, that's cool. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I like, I didn't know how to act. I was like, this is wild. And then it just went, we just jumped straight into the thick of it. I mean, they sent me the email right after that said, Hey, you know, we're going to be doing some testing. Can you fly out to Dubai? And I said, yep. Sign me up. They're like, all right, next week we're <laughs> you're going. Testing. <laughs> all right, cool. Wow. Yeah. I jumped straight into it, went out and did the testing, which is, you know, it's the real deal. And then got my setting for pretty much a whole year. Then um, I did Sonora, I did Silver State, uh, and then I did the full World Rally Series, which was the first time I've been able to do that. And it was cool. I got to go to a lot of cool places that I never thought that I'd ever go, like Kazakhstan and Russia and things like mm. that. So it was, uh, yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, we're all pretty stoked. Was awesome. it, it was it was pretty awesome to hear the news. Well, it's yeah. really cool to hear your story too, like how, how it kind of unfolded, but I'm surprised there wasn't any like team meetings or interview or anything like that. It was just kind of like they, they took it to the meeting and made a decision. But um, like you said, I think it was probably the relationships you had made previous. huh? Yeah, for sure. So I, I still didn't even really know, you know, everyone that well. So I went to Jordy's, uh, rally training school that he does in spain which is something that i should have done right away and i didn't do for like two or three years and so i met him then but i wasn't on like a personal basis you know he is still like the manager and he's still jordy villadomes you know dakar podium finisher like legend and so i wasn't on like this you know real strong relationship with anyone and so it was still kind of i was just the new guy that nobody really knew and still relatively new to the rally scene and whatnot just happened to get some good results and luckily i got two in a row i got a ninth and a fifth so i mean it just it it kind of worked out but in the end yeah i didn't hear any about anything about it i mean a lot of the other guys will they like went to austria and everything and mine was more like yep you got a phone call yep part of the team all right let's go test and let's get to work yeah that's pretty crazy so it was a little strange and a little you know weird to kind of process everything but i mean the whole the whole thing now has been really nice because you know it's not it's not a any less work i guess so So. that that would be the biggest thing to uh, i guess say to anyone looking to be a factory racer is it's not it's not easier you know, being a privateer is, has its own struggles and, you know, trials and everything that you got to go through. But, you know, being a factory racer isn't full, all sunshine and rainbows, you know, it's, it's a lot of hard work work and there's a lot of ups and downs, even outside of the racing and everything. And it's, um, you know, now the stress isn't, coming from you know i gotta go do a day job i gotta figure out how to get the money i gotta 
coordinate with all the sponsors and everything. Now it's okay. I need to make sure my body is in full top shape. I got to ride. I need to have a schedule and I have expectations on myself that, you know, I need to win races for this brand now and the training and the testings that, that the team does is gnarly. We're waking up, you know, 7am you're on the bike at 7:30. you test all day. You come home when the sun goes down and mm. the testing consists of you go out and you ride, you do like basically a 30 minute moto. You come in, tell them what you are thinking the bike's doing and what you feel like it could do better. They make a change. Doesn't matter what it could be. It could be to, you know, chassis to suspension to anything. You make that change, you go out and do, you do a 30 minute moto and you come back in and you make another change and you go back out and you do a 30 minute moto. And we're talking, these changes happen within like 10, 15 minutes. So you're basically 30 minute moto, 10, 15 minute break, 30 minute moto, 10, 15 minute break all day from seven in the morning until the sun goes down. So roughly wow. 10 to 12 hours. Full-time and job. Do that <laughs> yeah. for, and you're basically doing, you know, a Dakar, but for testing, uh, because you do that for a week or two. And this summer we actually did like a full month straight of testing. We got basically a week of downtime in between, but that week was spent doing more road books and more training. So, I mean, it's the real deal. <laughs> you got to go out. Right. It, it, it is a, it's a full-time, full-time deal. I hate calling it a job because I love it so much, but I mean, it's, it's not, basically all oh, you just get a bunch of free stuff and you look all cool and everything and then you show up to the race and you and you do good like there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that is really gnarly and that was bit kind of the biggest change for me is you know working the day job and doing everything else being my own mechanic and everything i was so absorbed with just making sure i was prepared to go to the race in the first place that everything else kind of took a back seat I wasn't really training very often i wasn't really riding I just was, you know, trying to get there. And yep. um, now it's completely reversed. Now I'm full prepared and, you know, doing everything possible to be the best version of myself. And yeah, like I said, it's not any less work, but it's now I just get to do what I enjoy to do, which is, you know, when I showed up to the race and the race started, it felt like everything else kind of melted away and I could just do what I needed to do. So now I'm just in a much better headspace, you know, doing what I love to do, which is really right. cool. And you're having fun, right? Yeah, a lot of fun. I mean, <laughs> that was the other weird thing too was, you know, there was a, it, it was kind of like a stepping stone. When I got ninth, I was on a completely standard bike and it was a big struggle and everything. And I was just losing a lot of time every day, even though I thought I was doing really good. And then the next year I went back with, you know, better bike suspension set up for myself and just everything tuned a little bit better. And I wasn't so far off the pace, but I still was, you know, not full pace as the top guys, even though I finished fifth, I was still, I mean, I still finished like 50 minutes back or something like that or 40, 45 or something <clears> like that. <throat> and so this year going into it, or as soon as I signed basically, and I got on the factory bike and I started doing all the training and everything, we went into Kazakhstan, which was my first race, and stage two, I won the stage. And I was like, oh, whoa, this is crazy. <laughs> and then I was all of a sudden just right up in the mix to win the overall of that rally. 
I'm like, whoa, this is wild. And that <laughs> had a tire fail, which put me out of the race, which sucked. But, you know, I went back and I won another stage and I was like, all right, well, this is, and it, and it didn't seem like I was, you know, pushing it to do that. It just felt like I was riding normally, like I would at say Silver State or Vegas Serena or something. Right. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. And then I go into Silkway and Silkway was strange because the first, you know, three or four days we were in the forest of Russia and those weren't really rally stages that they had all the corners marked. They had police at all the corners and it wasn't really like navigation style. It was just kind of just ripped through the, through the forest and kind of motocrossy and like enduro, which is not really my style. My style is go real fast in the open desert. Hmm. And so, but I was right there, like, you know, second, third on the stages mm-hmm. and in the hunt to win the overall. And which is, and, and, and it wasn't my style of riding either. And then I finished second. I finished on the podium of World Rally. I'm like, wow, this is wild. Like, this is way cool. <laughs> And then in between that, we're de- developing this new bike. So the new bike is a complete new chassis, new engine, new everything. It's it's a full new rally bike with, I mean, it's fully updated. And this is where like the, the not all sunshine and rainbows come into play because developing a bike is hard work. And it's something that I didn't know that I would be good at. And I was hoping I would be because... You know, they hand me a triple clamp. They don't tell me what's different about it. They just need to know if it's better or worse. And when I come back and I tell them what it like, what it feels like, then they will, then they'll tell me what it, you know, what's different about it. So I basically have to know what I'm talking about. And I was really nervous doing that because I'd never done that. Every time I just get a bike and ride it and I never, I've never changed triple clamps before. I've never uh, uh just any of that kind of stuff whatever it could mean skylar so uh you were telling us about developing that bike continue on with that yeah so uh kind of what i was saying is you know it's really it's really hard work doing that so um i i the hard thing is is like being able to be a good test rider right being able to tell tell the difference between the offset of triple clamps or the flex of things or whatnot. And so we basically tested the bike for, I want to say like a month straight. And then we came to USA and I, you know, told the team, I said, Hey, look, uh, I've grown up in the Southern Utah, Nevada, California desert. And, for the terrain that we're racing in the majority of the time say in africa everywhere for saudi for africa for everything i mean we got all of it in in the southwest usa and it makes the most sense for us to develop the bike there and so i told them i was showing them on google earth what type of terrain we have in utah and everything i'm like look i mean it's not as big but we have everything the same as Saudi here in St. George. Mm -hmm. And so they took, you know, they took my word for it and they flew the entire team out and all the mechanics and all the bikes and material and everything. And they came out to, to uh, Utah and we spent about, man, 
probably six, seven days or more uh, in St. George in the dunes and, and made like a pretty gnarly uh, test loop. And, it, you know, all, all the stuff that we do in Dubai, we have like a dune loop that has like a couple little rocks and some things like that. But when we're racing in Dakar, I'm like, you know, we have a lot more rocks than everyone thinks we do. And I think that everyone hates them be- is because we don't test them. And we're, we're always testing in some type of dune setup or, or something like that. So when you get in the rocks, it's just, you know, people are, are having crashes or, or whatever else might be happening. They're uncomfortable. So let's go test in the rocks. And we got everything in St. George. We got the dunes, the rocks, the, I mean, riverbeds, everything you can imagine. So they came out here and I've grown up here and, and developed or not developed, but like tested all my bikes and got my settings here from a whole lot for, for, for Baja for everything. And so I always think that this is the best place ever. So they come out here and everyone's just like, dude, this is so gnarly. Like the test <laughs> loop is just, there's ditches, there's rocks everywhere. Like this is super dangerous. I'm like, yeah, this is, what, what do you mean? Like, this is, <laughs> this is exactly what we're racing in, you know? And what I didn't realize too is the high speed testing is, is really necessary so in St. George, we do have a lot of high-speed stuff, but <coughs> every the full package of everything isn't all in one area. So we got high-speed, but you got to go out for a little bit to get to it. We got dunes right there. We got rocks right there and everything, but it's kind of like one gear too slow. So, you know, we need to be testing like fourth, fifth, sixth gear, and we're kind of like in that third, fourth, fifth gear around here. So we spent about two weeks. We developed as much as we could. We we got everything that, you know, we felt like we could get out of St. George. And then we moved to Southern California. <laughs> we did about a week of testing in between this, I guess, training more or less. We did some road books in Nevada. And then we went and did another, like, two weeks of, of testing in Southern California. And that, we got a little bit more of the full package kind of that big wide open valleys with big ditches and rocks and you know there's dunes out there and everything kind of mixed in between so um we got into a spot but this was what was difficult is everyone was kind of all over the place as far as what they thought was feeling good on the bike and um you know it's just a lot a lot of a, a ton of changes and a lot of hard work and um we got to a point where like, okay, yeah, we feel like we can race Morocco on this. So we go to Morocco, we race, and then we realize we're like, all right, you know, we're, we're still not as far as we want to be as far as just everything about the bike. So we go back to the drawing board. This is where I felt it was really cool. Um, Like a, a super, super cool experience was I got to go to, to Austria and check out the full factory, check out the motorsports building, and um, also, like, the the assembly line and everything. I got to see the whole – in Mati Gofen, like, KTM is the whole city, and it's, it's wild to see. So that was pretty cool, and then I – you know, we sat down with some meetings and kind of went over of where we needed to make some improvements, and that was what was super cool to see is, like – it, it, this isn't necessarily just a job to these guys. Like it's, it's a way of life. 
You know, if it means, okay, we need to make this change and we have to do it this week. And that means I need to be to work every morning at five o'clock in the morning. And I don't leave until the job's done that day. So wow. they could be there until, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night every day. And that's just what, that that's what needs to be done. You know, it's not a, oh, well, you know, I, I clock out at five. No, like we're getting the job done. Yeah, that's um, impressive. Oh man, it was so cool. And everyone, you know, they're on the dinos and they're doing this and they're doing that. And it's just, everyone is working super hard. And so we finally get this, this package together. We're like, yep. Okay. I think this is what I believe is going to make the difference. And we crate it up and ship it to Dubai. And we're like a month before Dakar here. So, or maybe two months. And, uh, so we, we ship it out to Dubai. We fly straight from, from Austria to Dubai and start doing like another, you know, two hard weeks of testing on this, on this package. And we get to a spot where everyone's in the, in the same ballpark, everyone's feeling more or less comfortable. And like, we're, we're pretty stoked on it. And we're like, all right, yep, done deal. Ship it. Let's, you know, let's go to Dakar. And so that was what was the craziest thing. And also during all of this, you know, we're developing a new bike, so we obviously can't, you know, release that until the release date. And as soon as we can release it, then it's determined that uh, the Rockstar contract is going to be up. So then everything that I'm doing is all on new colors. So literally yeah. this entire process, my first year being a factory racer, I can't say or post anything about it. So I'm like right. feeling like I'm crickets. Everyone has been in my corner and super stoked. And then I'm finally, you know, where everyone has helped me get me. And then I can't say anything about it. <laughs> right. Right. Can't talk about it. How yeah. many other riders came out and like was, was a part of the test. So, um, pretty much every single rider on the team, uh, under the umbrella. So you got Kevin, Matias, Toby, um, myself luciano sam and daniel are wow. all doing this test but i was the only one that went back to austria and kind of went back to the factory had all the meetings and and made some suggestions on what needed you know to be changed and whatnot and um the other thing too that's really strange about uh, i guess i'm a little bit more jacked up on mountain dew because it's my first year but um you know a lot of the other guys get really frustrated with with things and kind of don't want to do things which i thought was really strange like this is what we signed up to do you know is to work really hard is to do the photo shoots to you know sign the posters to do the testing and everything like that's literally what our job that's all we have to do right so that was what I thought was a little bit, that was probably the biggest struggle about, about the team is, you know, the, um, I don't know, some, every, everyone that I, I just automatically expected everyone to be as stoked as I am. Not everyone is, <laughs> <laughs> right? which is kind of a bummer, <laughs> but, but yeah. So I got a question on, uh, like bike setup and, you know, at that level, all you guys are top elite riders, do you or do you all have a pretty similar like for settings or is it a pretty wide range of you know different likings well and that that's actually the the coolest thing about a properly 
developed and set up bike is everyone will be relatively in the same ballpark. So for instance, me and Toby have almost an identical setting because we're both pretty similar in size. Um, but our riding technique, like our, our style and our technique is, is pretty different between me and Toby. We both sit down quite a bit, but realistically we're both pretty different, but our suspension setting is almost like is really close. I like a little bit, um, softer of a fork. Um, but we're talking like a few clicks softer and, yeah. you know, a couple things like this. And then everyone else is pretty similar, um, with the exception of like softer springs and maybe a few shims lighter on the valving, just because and we're talking the Benavidez brothers are an easy, like 40 pounds lighter than me or Toby, like easy. Yeah. So I, I would say, yeah, yeah, at least 40 pounds lighter than us but anyways like yeah we're all pretty close um the bar setup is pretty different between a lot of the other guys they like either a different shim under the bar just to like raise it up a couple millimeters or a low bar me and toby kind of run the 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 middle it's called the rally bend but it's kind of just your standard it's not it's not really a high bend it's not a low bend it's kind of like your middle i don't know specifically made for the for the rally bike which is pretty cool and it's pretty comfortable so but for the most part with the exception of a bar and a couple you know softer springs between the guys like that's pretty much it that's cool yeah awesome i didn't really expect that i thought you guys would be way out of the ballpark from each other well here's the the <clears throat> common goal is to get it nice and you know comfortable in the broken terrain and the rocks and everything and then stiff enough that you can launch off of dunes it's pretty much the common goal between everyone so if we find a setting that achieves that you know what then we're all kind of in the same ballpark as far as where that needs to be the the hard thing for me is is they do the setting exactly opposite than i've grown up doing it like normally in the west coast we do a heavy spring and light valving and in the the european way to do it is uh heavy valving with a light spring so it's been a little more challenging to get a a a perfect setup because it's kind of backwards from everything that i'm used to you know used to just testing yeah so do you yourself ever turn the wrenches on the bikes or is you guys got the mechanics that do everything well, while we're testing, the mechanics do uh, everything. So at home, I still do all the wrenching on my own stuff um, pretty much fully. So, but when we're at the test or at the, the race, then yeah, we have, we each have our own mechanic. And then at the testings, um, the mechanics kind of uh, work on, you know, what they need to. But my mechanic is, is Louie. And he's the best. He's like, literally, I couldn't have asked for a better dude. He's such a good, he's the coolest guy ever. <laughs> that's awesome. That's yeah. a, that's a good, it's a plus. Yeah. That's yeah. good to, to where you guys get along and enjoy his work. Yeah. He's just, he's such a hard worker too. He's, he's so gnarly. He's an, like an ultra marathon runner too. So he'll wake up at three o'clock in the morning, 
be there for when I need to get on the bike, send me off. And then he'll go right, run like 30 miles and <laughs> then come back, chill, eat a salad, maybe. And then I come in, then he'll spend the next six hours prepping my bike for the next day and then eat like a, a light dinner, go to sleep and then do it all again the next day. Like he's, wow. he's such a gnarly dude. He's such a hard worker and he's so thorough. Like it's, it's bananas. Every single time I've ever said anything to him, he's like, Oh yeah, I already handled it. Oh yeah. No, I found that. Oh yeah. I saw that. <laughs> I'm like, okay, dude, <laughs> I don't even need to say a word. <laughs> That's right. That's nice. Yeah. So, so you're liking the bike. You're liking, liking the Husky lifestyle. Yeah, of course. I'm, the, <laughs> the new bike that we've developed the old bike was pretty much figured out by the time I came in. So pretty much I just, I, I spent like a day testing and then I got pretty happy with that. And so I just went straight to training after that. And there wasn't like, they were three or four years into that bike already. So everything was kind of already developed. And now with the new bike is, you know, we've pretty much started over. So now I've, I'm pretty happy with, with what I've got. I know there's a, a little bit that I can probably make a little bit better um, and get just a little bit more comfort out of it. But overall, this Dakar was like the most confident and comfortable I've ever felt, especially in the dunes. Like the dunes are a lot of hard work and take a lot of confidence in yourself and the bike to push hard through them. And in the past, I've always been really timid and just not sure of what's on the other side or if I could take it, you know, just things like that. So this year I was like well on pace in the dunes, which was a first. And I was super stoked on that. And my idea of a properly set up bike is when you don't have to think about it. So when you're just riding at your maximum and, you know, you don't, you literally have never once thought about like, oh man, I just, oh, the bike's kicking me weird or whatever, you know, it just you'd never have to think about it. And, and I never did. And I was super stoked on it and right there with everyone, we'd ride in big groups and we we're kind of all pretty similar as far as everything about the bike goes. So I was really, really happy with that and happy to know that we can continue to improve too, which is a bonus. And then everything else about it. I mean, they take me, I've, I've been really conditioned to not take advantage of everything and, and, um, uh, you know, not abuse my stuff. So they've sent me, you know, plenty enough parts to keep me dialed in. And I, I typically don't abuse things. Like I've gone through one clutch here in my bikes at home and they sent me a few of them. So I've, I feel like a lot of the other guys are abusing <laughs> the clutches <laughs> heavy and some things like that. So yeah, everything's been really nice. I definitely have, you know, what I need to, to, to train properly and to ride at the at my best so there's really no excuse you know it's if the if the result doesn't come it's definitely going to be my fault so that which is uh i i i would prefer that you know i think a lot of the other guys would they have a different mentality and they never want to admit that they are the ones that um you know are the problem they're always going to blame it on something else the bike or another rider or, or something and I think that's just a way to try to make everyone else feel that they're the best and they can do no wrong, but that's not how racing works. Like there's going to be mistakes that made that are made. And I feel kind of some comfort in that, you know, in, in a team and with a bike and a mechanic that I can trust fully 
that if the mistake comes or the result doesn't come, it's, it's my fault. You know, I made the mistake or I didn't train hard enough. And well, that's, that's a great mentality. And it's something that's only going to make you better. I think I, I feel like that's a good outlook on, on it. And, uh, awesome to hear you say, you know, how you're sinking with the bike and when, when you don't have to think about it, that's a good working bike. I, I can relate to that, you know, racing Baja and stuff. And, I've felt that before and that's that's a good point when when the bike's working well and synced you're not worried about what it's doing so that that's a good little tip that was cool yeah yeah well and I I think that's what's important too is to everyone I I say everyone there's a lot of people out there that will either have some type of excuse or have some type of mentality about how racing in general is supposed to be and at the end of the day you there's two things you need to have fun with whatever you're doing. So enjoy whatever you're doing and don't think that it's going to be better somewhere else. It's going to be better wherever you make it better. You know, you just need to enjoy whatever thing, you know, if your tires aren't good enough, if this isn't good enough or whatever, nothing's ever going to be good enough. You know, like you just need to be happy with what you got and ride your best no matter what. And guess what? If you, if you get a, result that you didn't want you didn't do as good as you wanted to do you should have just gone faster (laughs) there's one key to winning races go a little bit faster than everyone else and if you didn't win you didn't do that simple as that (laughs) that's it (laughs) that's rad well tell us a little bit about uh the navigation was was the navigation this year more difficult than than years past or or in Dakar yeah at the Dakar um yes and no so what's really strange is where everyone made mistakes if you looked at it well for us anyways if you look at that specific note that everyone messed up on it didn't really you know it never would have stood out to you like that's going to be tricky you know it's not overloaded with information or really hard to read or just you know, there's a lot of tracks to choose from. It was just, I don't know, everyone, including myself, thinks that dune navigation is the easiest, you know, navigation. You just follow your compass heading. Well, in Saudi, they have a lot of tracks in the dunes, like roads, dune dune roads and things like that. And we'll be on one of those and it'll say, change your cap heading to a different trail. And you're like, that trail doesn't exist. And it'll say the cap heading is average, which means you're going to be winding around a little bit. It's not a straight through. But if you go straight through, you should end up at the at the right place at the end of the you know note. And what they're doing is they would add in a little thing that said, okay, take a left at cap 160 average. And then on the third box over there, they just write in in text all of your other you know, navigation changes that you're supposed to make. So you have one picture of what you're supposed to do and then the rest of it, you have to read and then do math. So it basically says uh, 106.9 kilometers, take a left at cap 165 average. And then after 500 meters, change your cap to 10 average. And then after that, follow the main track. So it doesn't actually tell you how long you're supposed to go at cap 10 average before you follow the main track. You're just supposed to guess. So that's kind of what ended up happening is 
we changed the cap to 10 average. We couldn't find the right track. And then it said, follow main track, but we all just kind of stayed on that cap 10 and we ended up way off in the bushes. And that's where everyone, including I lost about 17 minutes that day, but that's where everyone else lost like hours, you know? Yeah. So stuff like that, where it was just, you know, very clear what we were supposed to do, but the rain and the wind had kind of washed away the track. So it wasn't very, I don't know, just in your face of what track you're supposed to be on. And then it would just, I don't know, those, those type of directions are really strange because, you know, you're, you, like I said, you have to, you're trying to go a hundred miles an hour through sand and then you make these direction changes and then you have to do math and then yeah, <laughs> you know, it's just a lot of stuff. So yeah, on paper, it doesn't look like it was that hard. And then all of a sudden you get there and it's just like, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, it was just one of those spots that just kind of caught you, huh? <laughs> yeah. And that happened a couple of times, but I wouldn't necessarily that say the navigation was any more difficult. I would just say it was a little bit, they just added in a couple more of those things that just made it that much extra level of trickiness. So, which is exactly what everyone has said so this is the other thing that bugs me with other riders is they're trying the the organization is trying to make the race safer somehow they're trying to make the race slower and they want to put a speed limit on the bikes which i'm very outspoken against Uh, i think it's more dangerous in every single you know situation So the only thing that could potentially make the race slower is to make the navigation harder because the pace is so high. You know, everyone is pushing their maximum every day. Before the Dakar used to be, you choose what day you push and then the rest of the days you kind of manage. And now it's, if you don't push every day, you're just, you're way off the pace. Mm. And so the, the, the logical thinking to this would be to make the mat navigation more difficult and people will have to go slower in order to focus on the rat navigation more on the roadbook more and get the navigation right or else you get lost and that's the only clear thing so here they made the navigation more difficult and then everyone complained about the navigation being too difficult I'm like <laughs> what like <laughs> what do you mean like we had i thought it was perfect i mean i i made my fair share of mistakes and I think that, you know, they gave us the road books 20 minutes before the start. And so nobody knows where they're going. And then everyone's seeing the road book for the first time at the same time. And then it's as difficult for the next guy as it is for you. So it all comes down to how fast you can interpret it while you're riding. Mm-hmm. And if you're better at interpreting road books, fat, you know, than the next guy at speed, that's going to set you apart. And that's like why Mason Klein did so well is he's done so much navigation that he can just interpret the road book. And he's done so many road books himself, like built them that he can interpret it that much faster than the next guy. Mm. You know, he's, he's put in that type of preparation. And, you know, when I talked to him after the end of their stages and everyone else is like, Oh, it's so gnarly is so difficult, whatever. And I look at Mason, I'm like, what'd you think? He's like, well, it wasn't so bad. <laughs> you know so it's like yeah. all right you know the the west coast usa guys with their difficult navigation is definitely playing a part into this thing so i i would say yes it was a little bit more tricky but it wasn't 
like they didn't intentionally made the make the road books you know more notes or really difficult to figure out as far as you know there's so many tracks that you could potentially get lost on it was they would just throw in a couple of these notes that were like you know you never would have thought that they were difficult and then you get there and you're like what like this doesn't make any sense you know type of thing and in every case the roadbook was correct but it just came down to how fast you could interpret it while you're riding right so <clears throat> tell us about uh your accident and what you know what happened with you know you were riding really good the first four or five days and then what uh what happened well uh i mean yeah so i'll just start from the beginning of the race my whole game plan was to put myself into a good position to where I pretty much had like, you know, at least I, I, I wanted to be maybe top 10 every day, you know, top, I wanted to be like top four to six is where I thought it was. And then I finished fourth two days in a row and I caught up to the lead pack and ended up opening the stage. So from then on, I realized I'm like, okay, we need to be like sixth to 10th type of thing. That way you can, you still have to navigate, but you're at the front enough that, you know, the track's not destroyed. So you can, you can ride fast and you have like the tracks to kind of verify a little bit. You can push the tracks heavier in the dunes and, you know, you can just typically gain time. Most day, like not really make up a ton of time, but just not lose time. Right. Is the game plan. So yeah, I was in fourth overall and then intentionally kind of scooted back a little bit. So it put me back to eighth and then which was a perfect position for the second week. So I literally was doing exactly what I wanted to do for the second week and just managing that whole first week. And the day that I crashed, I start I had a rear starting position. So of course it was a day to push and, and make up, you know, some time, but I wasn't pushing hard enough to you know, I don't know. I wasn't taking blind risks. And that was on day five. Yeah. On day five. So I was just pushing hard enough to kind of put me back in because I think I started like 20th that day or or I don't, I don't remember, but um, I was just pushing hard enough to put me back into that like top five to 10 range. Mm -hmm. And at, I don't know what happened still. Like I lost the entire day and I still don't have it back, which is a strange feeling. Um, so everything that I'm saying now is just from what I do remember a couple of things like the morning, I was a little bit stressed, putting my road book in, like I ran out of time. We have 10, 20 minutes to do it. And I kind of ran out of time. And then I remember Danilo Petrucci, he came into the fuel stop and he had like a missing front fender. And I remember that. I think he hit a camel or something like that. And I remember <laughs> that. Wow. And, uh, and then I remember, Right before I crashed, uh, Daniel Sanders, he's at the fuel stop. He was seven minutes ahead of me. And then I remember he was turned around, coming back head on at me because he missed a waypoint. And I was like, oh, sick. Okay, I just made up all that time. I remember that. And Mm. then and where he passed me wasn't very far from that waypoint either. So I knew he was only a couple minutes behind me. So there's this like 30 kilometer dune section right before the finish and i crashed pretty much right at the beginning of that dune section and i guess according 
Mason thinks that I crashed in a totally different section, but every other person I talked to, including Daniel and Toby, which were the first people by me, said that there's this big hole in the dunes and it was kind of a step. So it had like a, you know, full drop off, had a little step in the middle of it. And then it came up and it was a big hole, like a big bowl in the dunes. Mm -hmm. And I just jumped off of it and it was a hard pack sand. So I slid off kind of on the brakes. And then I guess I hit that step in the middle and went full over the bars and then straight to my head. Mm. And that's, I believe, the same thing that Joan Bereda jumped off and separated his shoulder. And uh, Daniel Sanders jumped off of it right after me and dislocated his shoulder. And Toby also jumped off of it and, like, you know, almost crashed. So it literally got almost all of us. And I just got unlucky enough that I jumped it into it a little bit faster than everyone else and it just kicked me and threw me over the bars so i just went straight to my head but crazy thing is is i got i picked myself up and kept going and it was like halfway through that dune section before daniel even passed me. so i was on the ground like definitely less than a minute wow and and then i finished the stage in ninth so i still you know <laughs> i didn't even lose very much time i only lost i think like three minutes or something like that wow so which was really strange because I don't remember any of it. And when I came into the finish of the special, I didn't know where I was. I didn't know who people were. Mason stayed with me that whole time. He stayed with me for like an hour trying to like, Hey, look, let's just get back on the bike and go and get to the finish or get to the liaison and then checked out. So you could potentially start tomorrow. And I didn't know what was happening. Like we made a phone call to the team logistics manager i didn't know who she was like i was fully out of it wow so yeah the definitely with something like that the proper call is to just like you know you gotta you gotta bag it after that that's way too serious so they took me to the hospital from there which i don't remember (laughs) and i didn't like fully come back to and get my memory back until i was in the scans that they were doing like full mris and ct scans my whole body and that's when i kind of came back to it but everything else before that i don't remember anything so it's kind of crazy and i didn't like lose consciousness or anything i didn't even lose any time so wow strange (laughs) yeah have you ever had anything like that happen before or was that no i bumped my head before where i kind of like forget the crash but i've you know i remember the whole day like in vegas torino uh two years ago 19, yeah, yeah. I, I i i got a concussion there and um I, I i mean i i just don't remember the crash but i remember that whole day and stuff and i got knocked out like ricky came and had to wake me up yeah and this, I hit the dirt and picked myself up and finished the stage and really didn't lose very much time at all and didn't even lose, like, I, I, I don't remember anything. Mm. So, yeah, it's kind of strange and it's, uh, yeah, like you said, scary too. Like, that's definitely not something you want to mess around with, so. Absolutely. Yeah, but at it's... the hospital, they did the full scans and everything and I kind of messed up my shoulder a bit. I bruised my heel like the bottom of my foot, like a deep bone bruise. That's um, weird. <laughs> Those hurt. I don't, I really don't know how I did that either. Hmm. Like my heel, my foot, that 
your guess is as good as mine how I did that. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. But um, other than those two things, like my head's, you know, fine. I've been doing quite a bit of uh, kind of rehab to make sure everything's been all good. And um, I saw I've pretty much just been letting my shoulder, my, my foot get better. And we're on the mend now, so I'm hoping to be back to full riding by next week. So I'm going to get back on the bicycle and do some training this week, work my way into it. And then next week I'll get back on the bike and kind of get my way into it. So when we get, we start the testing, you know, again, next month, I'll be ready to go for it. Cool. Cool. Uh, Yeah. It's a little bummer, but uh, absolutely the right call and it's tough, but you'll be back. Yeah. It's the tough thing. It's the tough thing about all of this. Like you could work all year. You could be the most prepared you could possibly ever be for it. And then you just jump into a hole in the dunes that you didn't see. (laughs) Uh, Well, sometimes it just comes out to get you. And that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, okay, we're pushing, but we're pushing every day. But I wasn't just taking risks, you know, and just sometimes, sometimes it just, you get it wrong, you know? Well, dude, we're in the gnarliest sport in the world. So, I mean, I don't know what, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It just happens sometimes. That's yeah, part, of the, part of the game. But yeah. Oh. yeah, for sure. So what what's on your schedule in the future? I, I know uh, I hear you're coming to the Nevada 200 trail ride. Yeah, so I'm stoked on that. That's uh, some, something that's been on my list for the last few years, and I've never been able to make it. So finally – no world rounds or anything else conflict with it. I'm like, all right, I'm going. Dude, so, it's so cool. It's cool. Eric and I are both on the the staff this year again with them. So we'll be seeing you there. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah I'm super, super pumped on that. Um, the first order of business is going back to Dubai and doing the Abu Dhabi desert challenge in March. Um, so we'll probably do a little bit of testing before that. I'll probably be in Dubai for the, you know, roof. I would say the majority of the end of February and beginning of March, um, doing a lot of testing, do that race. And then depending on what Sonora rally does, I know they said they were going to change some date. They're finalizing some things, hmm. but it's, if they keep everything exactly how it is, I'd finish Abu Dhabi, fly directly back and then hop in the sprinter and drive straight down to Sonora and do the Sonora rally. And I've pretty much told myself that if, if the dates are open, I got to do it. That's like one of my favorite races. It's just so cool to be down in the, like, I, I feel like it's how Baja used to be, you know, it's, mm. it, you got pretty untouched desert out there, which is super nice. And then you get into these towns and villages where you get nice, authentic food and uh, it's just so cool. So yeah, the Sonora Rally definitely on the list. And then I'll do the whole world, uh, world rally raid championship again so abu dhabi kazakhstan um andalusia which is in spain morocco and then i think that's it right yeah four and then dakar again um, nice. and then in between that i'd like to hit a couple of the long distance desert races so i'm going to shoot for maybe baja nevada and then vegas Torino. And unfortunately, nice. my favorite race, the Silver State 300, is conflicting with Kazakhstan. So probably won't be mm-hmm. able to make that one. But I will try my best 
to get to a couple of the other races in the States and, you know, do what I can. Cool. Very cool. We're looking forward to Baja Nevada. Me and my teammate are racing that series, the legacy series. And we raced that last year and man, what a good time. That was such a fun race. I heard it's like one of the best, like it's, Dude, it, it's one it of was, the better races. It was epic. Yeah. Like yeah, it was so much fun. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But cool, man. Well, sounds like you got a pretty good, yeah, pretty good workload on your plate. And, and dude, we're super stoked that you got yeah. that ride and that things worked out. <laughs> yeah. Very deserving. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, a, <laughs> a lot of hard work to get here and we're going to continue putting put in hard work and yeah, get back to some training, get the body <laughs> back in shape and uh, push hard again hopefully get a world championship. I mean, not finished now that Dakar is part of the world championship is really tough. So mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm missing out on a crap ton of points that everyone else who finished got. Mm-hmm. So winning the world championship now is a very, like I literally will have to finish on the podium or win every single world round now, <laughs> I think, mm-hmm. which I'm going to try and do <laughs> set, set them goals high. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, me and Eric were talking before the show, and then I was listening to our last episode you had, Jan, and I, I think where you've come and what you've got going on is it couldn't have been given or earned by a better person. I think I think you've you've uh, I don't even know what the words to say, but it's just Very phenomenal. Deserving. Yeah, just and it's awesome. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I've listen. There's been a lot of people that have have done a lot for me and believed in me and i feel like that was a lot of the reason there's been a lot of times you know i i I got burned by a handful of people to get up to this point and and there's there's a lot of times where i was really second guessing and wondering if uh yeah all this was was worth it and then i'd go back and i'd remember all the people that believed in me and paid for an entry fee or bought a t-shirt or just anything supported me. And, and, uh, yeah, that's the reason why I kept going. I didn't want to, uh, you know, give up on them. And I'm glad that I stuck with it because it's, it's kind of cliche. You always hear those sayings like, Oh, it's always, it's always darkest before the dawn. But I mean, it got pretty dark there for a while. And I was like, man, this is, (laughs) does this ever come at like this? Does it ever work out? And uh, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's tough, but if you got a, if you got a dream and you know that you can make it there and it just is going to take a lot of work. I mean, you gotta, you gotta work for that dream. Right. So it's, yeah. if you had to do it all over again, if you had to do it all over again, would you? Uh, I'd do it different. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Honestly, just the uh man well that's actually a funny question and i was talking to someone else about that too so for instance when i started racing hare and hounds for chris blaze uh kurt had just started his rally career and uh like not really officially announced but basically they needed to fill the factory ktm spot for off-road you know usa and so they flew over Toby Price, myself, 
uh, Ivan Ramirez were kind of all the top KTM racers that were like a, a unspoken tryout. And me and Toby crashed in the exact same spot and broke our spines. And the spot went to Ivan Ramirez. And that kind of was the start of all the struggle. So from then on, I like, I was lucky enough to have a a short time to be coached by uh, Kurt and learn a lot of very valuable lessons. But that was, I mean, I, I decided I wanted to race four strokes. So I left the blaze team and then pretty much went completely broke on my own trying to race and do Baja and all that kind of stuff. And then I was so desperate that I got involved with people that I shouldn't have been just because I was so desperate and I got taken advantage of big time and they tried to ruin whatever type of name or reputation I had because I wasn't agreeing with the way they were doing things. And man, it got really, really tough there for a long time. And I'm very, very, very lucky that I have a handful of people that just stuck with it. And when I was basically in a dark space of like, look, I don't even want to look at the bike. I don't even want to ride right now. Hmm. You know, I had a buddy that was like, look, that's not an option. You know, Vegas Serena's coming up. We need to prep this bike and we're going racing. That's what's happening. And they dug me out of this hole basically and, and kept me going. And that got me introduced to Garrett. Garrett got me introduced to rally and yeah, like I said, I, I, I got to go to Morocco and do a race there. And I went to Greece and I did a race there. I ended up breaking my neck and just, there's so many different things that I probably should have gone other places and done other things. And, you know, but I didn't have anyone teaching me this and have anyone like steering me the right direction. And looking back, if I would have got what I have now back then, I don't think I'd appreciate it as much. You know, there's so much struggle and gnarly things that have happened that make me really appreciate everything that I got right now. And, you know, the people that stood behind me and, and helped me out and everyone else that came up and really believed and I I gave me the shot pretty much. Uh, I mean, I owe all of it to everyone that helped me out because without them, I never would have, I never even would have, I mean, I would have stopped long ago. So it's, it's, I, I, there's a, it's not just me, you know, there's so many other people that have been a part of it. And I guess that's the cool thing now is I look back up Kurt and his legacy and how he's always been able to, he was always able to kind of like help people, even though he was the best racer in the world. He had all this pressure and, and, and responsibility yet. He was always doing stuff for other people. And now I, I feel like I, I always wondered how he, how he did that. And mm-hmm. cause I was just so involved with my own program. And I'm like, dude, I don't have time. Like I'm forgetting people's birthdays. Like I don't have time for my own self. I'm not even doing anything for myself. I'm just, like how do you how do you do anything for it like this is crazy and now i'm in a spot now i'm like oh okay i understand when the stress you kind of get your life figured out you know it's not all about racing it's all about you know how you just organize your whole life right and you know i've been very fortunate enough to kind of get all those lessons and yeah i had to learn a lot the hard way but 
now I'm in a spot now where I figured out how to kind of organize and prioritize my life better. And, and I have better relationships with people and friends. And, um, yeah, I appreciate, like I said, the hard work and what I signed up for, you know, to, to sign, sign the poster, to take the interview, to do the photo shoot, to do the testing and all that kind of stuff. Like this is, is exactly what I asked for. It's exactly what I signed up for, even though it's hard work. Like I'm really, really fortunate to have what I have now. And, um, yeah, proud, proud of it, proud of the hard work and the struggles that I had to go through. And now hopefully I can take all of that the same way I've learned what I've learned now and take that into the rest of the world championships and hopefully be able to, I don't know, do right and make everyone proud. I I think we're all pretty proud. <laughs> uh, pretty awesome. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you. Yeah. <clears throat> Love the outlook and the attitude too. So just keep that up and good luck in your in your upcoming events and stuff. And make sure you bring a couple posters to Nevada 200 for us. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah, cool. Well, we're we're house fans, man. So keep up the good work, buddy. Right on. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Okay. Yep. And, uh, yeah, we'll wrap it up, but, uh, we'll see, you at the Nevada 200 if we don't see you sooner. And like I said, good luck, man. Keep up. Cool. Thanks for the chance to talk to you guys. And yeah, hopefully we talk soon. All right. Yeah. We'll see you soon. Okay. See you guys. All right. Thanks buddy. Bye. Yeah. All right. We're back. Dude. What a show with Skyler. What man. Uh, hope you guys enjoy that. I know we did. We didn't want it to end. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. Good stuff for sure. It, it's so amazing to see where he's come from, and where he's at, and where he's going. It, it's it, like we talked about. I, well deserved. Couldn't have been a better, better guy. Yep. Good time in life too. He's got a great attitude. He's he's. Uh, you know, I feel like he's at the top of his game and, and just doing awesome things. So, congrats with that, Skyler. Keep it up, buddy. Yep um yeah great show heck yeah i know we were all bummed when you got pulled out of the duck car but for the future of you and and whatever it was I, it looks like it was the right call yeah no it's been pretty cool over like the last i feel like like the last five years you know since the americans really kind of made a charge over there and stuff it's it's been really fun to follow you know before that um i really didn't know much about dakar and didn't didn't really follow it a whole lot but over the last, uh, you know, five years or so, I've been watching every year. I can't wait to, to watch the, the mm. show, you know, and um, seeing these guys that we know and have raced in Moran and raced in Best in the Desert and <laughs> Legacy and Baja with, you know, it's that's pretty cool to to see these guys go over there on a, on a world stage and compete. So, right. pretty neat stuff. Pretty cool. It's funny. I still think of Skyler years ago when i first found out who skyler was you know he was just racing one of our moran races and after the race he's out there with another friend in their little tantras their bikini underwear with a boom box dancing out in the middle of the desert after the race and like, who is this guy and it was skyler <laughs> yeah yeah no he's come a long ways from from uh hockey punk kid to a factory racer and he's matured a lot and he's just it's awesome to see so heck yeah really cool well i uh, hope you enjoyed skyler um 
How you doing on Rocky Mountain? Fit your fantasy. Well, man, just when I thought I was nailing it and I had a bunch of picks right, I think I had four out of five lined up and doing things. And then I don't know what happened, but the race got really interesting. And, um, yeah, kind of ruined ruined my picks. I ended up with getting – I got – several in the top five but didn't get any right so somehow i still moved up in the ranks a little bit I in, don't our, know. in our group yeah in our group <clears throat> i don't know how that worked out but i think i ended with 25 points on the week so not great i i bumped up to fifth i think or sixth in our group and you're sitting at ninth in our group yeah. i got one right and so shout out to my buddy travis pearson sitting yeah. second in the group he's he's kicking butt like 55 or what do we say or 555 out of everybody yeah, like playing in like the top <clears throat> 600 or something overall um what about how about anderson's oh man did they ever say what happened bike issue no just man what a gut wrenching deal for him that that sucks he's looking just, good on that cowie but yeah that, something happened definitely yeah. and he's still able to get a finish I think yeah. he's still ninth. He was ninth or something, yeah. But man, he was coming for him. He was gonna run chase down, I think. And yeah, he's riding good. He looks great. Uh, still another one game? in the two fifty. How about uh, Christian Craig's ride, man? Ride of the night. Holy yeah. smokes! Smoking. He was went down in the first corner, pile up, and came from dead last to first on the podium. Yeah. yeah. Just, yeah, uh, that was a that was a. He was on a mission. Awesome ride. Yeah, <laughs> that was fun to watch. Yeah, that was really cool. But anyway, yeah, we're uh, full swing of things. So yep. get your picks in. I gotta I gotta catch a break here somewhere along the way and get a couple right though. Hey, you're in the top ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, out of what fifty fifty five fifty six, I think is in our group. In our group, so that's cool. Um, <clears throat> All you guys better get after it. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, go get your picks in. Races in uh, Anaheim 2. Anaheim 2 this weekend. And uh, get any predictions? Um, yeah, I'm going to keep those close to chest. <laughs> not, I'm not sharing any picks. Yeah, don't, don't share week. them because we Way don't want to. Way too early in the week to give out my, you know, my ace in the hole. So. <laughs> You say that every week. <laughs> right? Uh, one of these weeks I'm going to be right if I just keep saying it. So. Yeah, right? uh, all right. Well, had some races this weekend. We had our local Moran race. Um, I didn't go. I chose to go to the works race and then planned on going to SRA GP at Glen Helen on Sunday. But uh, the Moran race, uh, not a bad turnout. Put on by the gamblers over at Bitter Springs, which is Valley Fire or Lake Mead area. Yep. Raced there several times. Uh, overall was Trade and Beard. Coming in second was Jamin Littlefield, buddy of mine. And then third, also a buddy, uh, Carl Mossberg. So congrats to you guys three hitting the, the top box for the pro class. And the first expert, young kid that's been racing works. What is he, 16? Jake Bush, yeah, 17, 18, I think, 17, maybe. I don't know. Overall expert, uh, right behind the pros. So, big shout out to Jake. Yeah, great ride, Jake. That was uh, put on a show, man. Good job. I know his awesome. 
older brothers, your teammates. Yep, Damon. So uh, pretty cool. Awesome to see this kid grow and yeah, he's been coming along. So anyway, and then uh, works race top three over there was in the 450 Pro classes. Dante Oliveira, second Cole Martinez, third was Trevor Stewart. Um, cold. It was a cold weekend. I got there late, right before the sun or right as the sun was going down Friday. Slept in the moto van for the first time. How was that? It was cold, but I had my little buddy heater and um, I strung some little lights, LED lights in there, just a little strip I've had for months. You need to throw out a generator and a little electric electric heater. Right. Probably warm that thing up pretty quick. Yeah, eventually and working on that. So yeah. I lost my little remote to my little LED light, so I plug it into the cigarette lighter, taped it all on the wall, just have a little bit of light. Only light I could get on was red. So people walking by, I didn't know if I was having a party in there or what. Corn dogs hanging out in the red light van district. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, anyways, it, it was cool. Um, sure, it's always a party with corn dog. Right. <laughs> Never a dull moment. Um, my race, it was it was good. I'm still fighting this. Uh, what did you call it last week? Flurona, man. Flurona. That's. I still got a little cough in my chest and can't get rid of it's, yeah chest it's, is it tight. likes to hang man so so i lined up uh there was 21 or 22 in my class on the line uh running in the top 10 the first four laps lap five just pooped out coughing um it was fun though it was good yeah had a good ride on lap one i had a couple close calls going down one guy stopped right in front of me and then another one i went to i hit a berm or something and just went sideways but saved it so i never did go down but overall i think i had a really good ride if i was healthy it'd be a lot better so anyway it was fun can't wait for the next one next one is Glen helen next month yeah, that's um, always a that's always a fun place to ride yep i was gonna pack up after that race and head to Glen Helen and race the SRA GP on Sunday. And it was a tough call. I <laughs> ended up not going, but went over, got me some tacos and I probably sat in the van out there for about two hours debating whether to go or not. And I <laughs> made a few text messages and I had the help of a few people saying, you know what, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't go. And man, adulting sucks. Yep, yep. <laughs> so I chose not to go and came back to Vegas, stayed at my buddy's house and just rested and the cramps hit. Man, my legs are so sore from the, cr not so much from the riding, but I cramped three times Saturday night and my thighs, it just it hurts. Yeah. I barely walked this week. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying, man. I suffer from cramps too. If I got a super hydrate you know, and, and really prepare to, and even then sometimes there's nothing you can do. I know comes, but. I, I get the leg cramps every time I race this last year, riding the bicycle. It didn't sleep like I was getting the cramps like I was. Mm -hmm. And of course it's been cold and dark and snowy and I haven't been on the bike in a couple months, bicycle yep. in a couple months. So that could have been part of it. Plus fighting the sickness and yeah, blah, blah, get blah. that little indoor setup that yeah. You know, you throw the bike on it. It's indoor. boring, though. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but Put yeah. Put that in back of the moto van so you can practice. There you go. Yeah. Warm up. Yeah, that'd be cool. But so anyways, uh, I don't know well, how the results or how the SRA went. I haven't had time to look, but I'm sure it was a great time. It always is. I, I love I love Glen Helen. I love SRA. Mm-hmm. Um, hit him well, again. I went, I went out for a ride this weekend. Me, me Russ Pearson, and uh, Trevin Perkins, one of my other buddies. Hmm. We went out for a good little ride, and I was I was kind of surprised how much moisture was in the dirt. You know that it wasn't too dusty, and we went for a good little kind of a tight loop. It was cold, so we didn't want to go ride fast stuff. We wanted to ride tight and technical, so we could work and uh, keep warm. Yeah, it was fun, man. <clears throat> we had a good ride. Cool. But uh, right on. Yeah, and then uh, you know the Nevada two hundred trail ride, like we said. Uh, Corn Dog and I are on the uh, support staff there this year, and we're looking forward to that event. If you've never come to that, you know we recommend you come. It's There's still gr- spots open. Yeah, it's a great event. Um, I, I think talking to Scott, uh, you know we're. I think he's going to cap it somewhere around 160, 170 riders or something like that. If uh, you know, if I'm thinking right, so. Anyway, um, it's filling up fast, but there's a few spots still available, and um, that's in April. And Skyler will be there, he said. Skyler, and I think Mason, I think Skyler and Mason Klein are both going to be there. So both the two of the American Dakar rally riders are going to come hang out for three days and ride dirt bikes at the Nevada 200 trail ride. Come out, meet them, and some other big top riders that will be there or been riders in the past. Rub elbows with them at lunch, dinner. I mean, just hang out. It's it's it, the riding is is the great. <clears throat> Honestly, the riding's great, but also the other events that they do the the lunch and the dinner, the the awards Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, you all, can't. I can't even explain good. that. You you leave there, your face hurts so bad from laughing and smiling. Um, it, yeah, you, you have to experience it. Um. They have that little run race where you go and get Easter eggs or something out of the field and get prizes, and mm-hmm. that that's that's a hoot to see Max Schweisser, 80-something years old, out there running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty fun stuff. So a lot of, lot of cool stuff set up. and, and uh, There's a thing, a contest going on, too, uh, um, with the beta ride. Um, oh, yeah, so if you enter and just... Uh, let them know that you want to be a part of of that um beta is giving away a factory ride for the weekend so basically you'll have a factory mechanic a bike um you know full setup for the weekend gear like uh riding gear and they're going to give you that for the weekend all you got to do is show up and ride a beta for three days so So that's super cool i think you need to go on the drawing for all entrants that express is that how yeah you have to you have to message or something get a hold of scott or um, find find out on uh, hardenoffroad.com you can go to scott harden's website hardenoffroad.com i think it is uh correct you know i could be wrong on that because i'm i'm not looking at it in front of me right now but i believe that's what it is and um he also has a facebook page so uh, instagram nevada 200 trail ride you can search that on instagram facebook and um I know he's posted about it on there. So, yeah. but yeah, the website has most of the info on the actual trail ride. Or hit us up; we can we can get you. Uh, yeah, 
Maybe I'll um, find a link or something and put it on our, our post when we post this. <coughs> um, Perfect. What else we got going on? Um, guess that's about it. I guess we can wrap up, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah, good show. And uh, thank you all for tuning in. Find us on our Facebook, KD Eric, or on Instagram, The Desert Dirt Biker, or shoot us an email, thedesertdirtbiker at gmail.com. Give us ideas, guest ideas. Um, if you know somebody that would like to come on the show, uh, if you have an event or know of some events that's going on, let us know about that. Um, throw us an email. Talk to us about whatever. Heck yeah. We're, I know we're working on some exciting guests and some promotions, and uh, uh, we're actually getting ready to make a phone call to a gentleman that reached out to us and uh, see what's going on there. there. We might be having some kind of um, contest or something going on. So we're going to cool. make a phone call and find out about that. Hopefully it's not too late. Um, anyway. Yeah, thank you all for tuning in. We'll catch you at the next one. Yes, sir. All right, see you at the races. Wrap. Thank you for listening to the Desert Dirt Biker Podcast. Make sure you tune in next time. <laughs>